Hello and welcome to series two, episode 14 of Out With Susie Ruffle. Hello, how are you? I hope you're doing okay. I am doing just fine. I'm here in my little red office room that's also now my studio, that's my massive cupboard, and um, it's 10 to 9 on Sunday morning. I haven't been for my walk yet because I've decided today I'm just going to be a bit lazy. I'm going to maybe have some scrambled eggs. I'm maybe going to move around my living room and I'm probably going to watch some telly. And do you know what? That's about it for me today. And that is totally fine. Um, I hope that I hope that whatever you're doing, you're okay. I hope that I'm catching you on a good day. Or if not, um, I hope that this podcast cheers you up a bit and makes your day a little bit brighter. Um, so before we begin, I have to thank so many of you for getting in touch after Jess's episode last week. I was inundated with emails. I don't think we've ever received so many emails from an episode. Um, on Tuesday, I was supposed to be doing some other work. And all I did was just read all the emails from you, lovely lot. So thank you so much. Um, so many of you were saying that you had come out a bit later, or you hadn't realised your gayness, or maybe you were in a situation that Jess was in, you know, a few years ago before she had, um, before she had sort of really grabbed hold of her queer life and that um, that her episode gave you some hope. And I'm so delighted. I knew that that episode was going to be brilliant. Um, and I know that Jess is brilliant. Um, so thank you very, very much to all of you that got in touch. Um, if you do want to get in touch with me, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I'm always here, guys. I'm always here. Before um, I, I share emails this week, I just want to give a, kind of a little shout out. So last week, some of you will remember that I um, shared an email from a teacher who said um, that she was never sure whether she was getting the right balance between being sort of out and open at school for the children who might also feel queer, but also she wanted to balance it with uh, making sure that she didn't upset the school and and that she didn't sort of cross any lines with sort of being out. Um, That teacher got back in touch with me this week, as did one of her ex-pupils, to say that she her being there and being visible made a massive difference to the pupil's life and I knew it would have and I'm not going to share the ins and the outs of it because it feels a little bit personal it feels a little bit private but I, I knew that a teacher being there and being visible would have had such an effect and it did and I was so delighted to receive both of those emails both from the teacher and from the pupil and the fact that you have reconnected through my podcast I can't even begin to tell you it gave me the biggest smile and it really put a spring in my step for not just the day the whole week so thank you to both of you for getting in touch I was really thrilled right so today's episode is with uh, my friend stand-up comedian brilliant Stephen Bailey but before we do that as always I will be sharing your emails so let's start here Dear Susie, I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning and I was so happy to hear Jessica's story in the latest episode. As someone who only realised my queerness in the last couple of years, I just turned 31, it can seem a bit lonely, as most people seem to come out in their teens or early 20s. I find it reassuring to hear about people who came out later in life. For me, I always thought that I was just a really good ally and was attracted to the queer scene because I just felt a bit different. I'd always had my girl crush on Kristen Stewart, But then, in the last couple of years, I realised I was finding a lot of other women attractive too. Then I started to get on really well with a girl from work, who was pretty new and was openly gay. We flirted and chatted loads, and I eventually worked up the courage to tell her I liked her. We went on a few dates, and it felt so natural and right. It didn't work out, though, as she was out of another relationship, and she didn't want to go into something straight away. Then Covid and lockdown came along, and I feel like I've been in limbo ever since. I used to have no interest in dating or relationships with men. And honestly, I thought I was asexual for a while. I don't know why it took me so long to realise that I could be attracted to women. 
But I did see a video on Instagram recently where a woman was saying that the reason it takes women so long to realise they're gay is because society tells us to interpret attraction to a woman as friendship and to interpret uneasiness or awkwardness around men as being caused by attraction. This definitely makes sense to me when I look back at my life. If I knew a guy was flirting with me, I would get totally awkward, shy and almost paralysed. I never felt like that with the girl at work. It just worked and felt so easy. Now that I've realised this about myself, I feel so ready to explore it. I was ready to find my queer tribe, go to gay bars and meet someone, hopefully. But now I'm stuck in social distancing and dreaming of a future where I find someone to spend my life with. It can get me down at times, but hopefully in the not too distant future, I will find some queer friends and a girlfriend. It seems a bit intimidating to be joining a new community and trying to find new friends at 31, but I'm trying to be positive. I told my family and close friends and they were all totally supportive and fine with it. I haven't told people at work though and sometimes I feel guilty about that and I wonder if I'm somehow still a bit ashamed of it all. But I also feel like it would be so much easier if I was in a relationship with someone because then it would just come up naturally in conversation. If I had a girlfriend, I feel like I'd be fine to tell people about it. I'd be damn proud of it. When it comes to labels, I feel like I'm still unsure about that too. I like queer because I feel that sexuality is quite fluid and queer covers a lot of bases. I've never been much of a fan of labels though, as I feel they're always more for the benefit of other people who want to be able to put everything in a box as it makes them feel more safe and in control. Honestly, I don't mind what people call me. Queer, gay, lesbian, as long as they're saying it with respect. I know a lot of people find comfort in being able to choose a label and feel like it gives them a sense of belonging. But for me, I feel like they're restrictive. This email has become very long and rambly. Anyway, the podcast, along with like-minded friends, has been such a comfort through all this craziness and uncertainty. Thanks for always being so inclusive and making everyone feel so welcome in this community. I hope I can be lucky enough to find some queer friends who are as kind and open as you when I get back into the real world and some sort of normality. Love and light. Oh, and I don't know whether to share your name because you've only just come out. So I'm not going to, but I know it. Um, firstly, I'm sure you will find lots and lots of friends who are kind and open. Thank you for saying such kind things about the podcast. And I get what you're saying about it being intimidating to find a new community. But the great thing about our community, and this goes for allies as well. I'm not leaving anybody out. But because I think lots of us have felt like outsiders, I think we're totally welcoming to a new member of the gang. So, you know, be excited rather than scared about finding that new community don't don't be too intimidated be more excited by it and i'm sure your new friends wherever they are will be delighted to meet you um thank you so much for getting in touch i really appreciate it okay here we go here's another one the community the conversation and the content i needed hi susie i just finished listening to the latest episode with jessica and i felt that now was the right time to reach out i've listened to every single episode some of them even twice I'm not entirely sure how I stumbled across the podcast, but I am so glad I did. It's made me feel so connected to the wider queer community, something I definitely needed. I'm a 27-year-old gay guy and have lived in rural South Cumbria for most of my life. Not where I thought I'd be for this much of my life. Having grown up and lived in this area, there has always been very little, if not any, gay or queer representation to absorb as part of my daily life. There aren't any gay bars or groups or much of a gay community, and going through school in the hangover of section 28 meant that many of my teachers had been used to not bringing diverse sexuality into lessons. I don't remember any gay members of staff, although I'm sure there were some. 
And with those in mind, along with a fair few folks using gay as a derogatory term as the replacement for bad when describing anything. For a long time, I didn't realise how this had impacted me and how much shame I'd developed around my sexuality. Not coming out until my early 20s and trying to hide that part of me all through uni and not embracing it at all has caused a deep depression and a need for a long period of therapy. But things do change for the better. I still struggle with the shame about being gay and how it's affected my relationships, but I'm working through that. And with a lack of gay community, that can be tough. It's why your podcast is such a great find. I feel a massive connection to the wider community and it was something I needed. Hearing your guests and your own stories and showing us how to be in the world has had a bigger impact on me than I think you realise. If I'd found a podcast like this as a young gay kid, it would have changed everything. But the fact there are kids all over the world that can access it is so reassuring and warming. Thank you for putting this together, Susie. I'll be tuning in for every guest. Your rural listener, Rob. P.S. If it takes your fancy to read this out, you are welcome to use my name. We need to show there are queer folk in nearly every town, village and area of the country. We're here to stay, whether they're out or not. Oh, well, thank you, Rob. Um, I mean, a lot of your emails are starting to make me very, um, very emotional, guys, but I appreciate it. Um, I'm really pleased that um, this podcast has given you a sense of community. I think it's really tough at the moment as well. I think we're all so isolated from our friends and the community we already have. If we're also missing sort of part of a queer community, it can feel even bigger. Um, I'm so pleased that this podcast has been that for you, Rob. And I mean, as you're saying about a, a young kid, this podcast, that's the reason that I that I created this podcast. I feel like if I'd listened to some regular gay folks just chatting about their lives when I was a teenager I would have felt so much better about who I am and so I'm really pleased that you think that that's doing that for some people now I really hope that it is and yes of course there's gays all over the place and um I think I'm going on tour to South Cumbria next year so um do come and say hello if you fancy it Rob uh, we can have a gay night just ourselves we can be the only gays in the village although I will say when I do a tour show you do find the gays they'll travel for it and I appreciate that gays LGBTQIA plus whoever you are a lot of the time people will travel and maybe we can make a little community that night we'll see um but thank you very very much for your email and um, I hope me reading it out has made you feel even more connected right let's have one more we had so many last week I'm going to share an extra one this week here we go dear Susie I hope you're well I just wanted to say I absolutely love your podcast I came out around seven years ago and have had an absolutely wonderful partner for four of those years but I've only recently started to feel how much shame I have. Despite being openly gay and in some ways proud, it manifests its way in small ways, which I won't bore you with now. And only during lockdown with a lot of time alone with my thoughts, did I start to grasp how much my shame negatively impacts my mental health and relationships, new and old. It's given me bad posture, to quote Lava from Feel Good. In an effort to combat both shame and lockdown boredom, I was looking for a new podcast and I was delighted to find yours, which I hope would help me with both aforementioned problems. You have not disappointed. Listening to all your guest stories has really helped me to understand and feel that gay is okay and that it's important that I live my authentic self rather than trying to hide aspects of my personality in order to better fit into a straight world. In fact, hiding my personality probably resulted in fitting in less well, as I believe that being inauthentic means it's harder to build friendships. For example, I've just found out that sometimes I actively avoid building friendships with other queer people because of my shame. Awful, I know. I think in the past, 
I subconsciously haven't wanted to be associated with them or thought that being friends with queer people would jeopardise my relationships with straight people somehow. Madness. Now that's a conscious realisation, I am determined to change it and try harder to connect to people with similar experiences as myself, as I found that sometimes it's rather lonely with only heterosexual cisgendered people in my life, lovely as they are. Every one of your guests and you have inspired me in many different ways and helped me on my way of finding out who I am underneath, without the shame. It's so important to put stories out there to queer people of all sorts who are living their lives proudly, as often this is hard to find. Maybe one day I'll pluck up the courage to recommend your podcast to my friends and family. Thank you so much for doing it and long may it continue. Anyway, my cat's been staring at me this whole time, so I should go and feed him now. Lots of love to you and your cat. Well, firstly, thank you for sending some love to Velma. She'll really appreciate it. I'll let her know shortly. Um, I won't share your name because you might not want me to. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm responding to these emails and it's really important that everyone knows that I'm not, um, it's not like I have all the answers. I don't want anyone to think that I have all the answers, but I can say um, to the writer of this email, I have totally had similar feelings to you. I remember not wanting to hang around with the gay girl at school. There was a girl that was openly gay. I was like, I need to swerve that because then people might know about me. And I, yeah, and and now I feel shame about the fact that I felt shame about that. It's sort of a big shame circle. But I'm delighted that the podcast has is, is making you feel less like that. And um, I think it's really sad that so many uh, LGBTQIA plus people do sort of walk around with that shame. May I suggest, because I've just finished it, my dear friend Tom Allen's book. It's called No Shame. And I think it will cover a lot of things that you might align with, maybe. Um, it's also an audio book, so you get to hear his gorgeous voice. Um, for a few hours which is just lovely thank you so much for getting in touch I hope that you're doing okay in lockdown two if you had to spend a lot of time on your own in lockdown one I hope that you're um you're feeling all right and even if you're by yourself you found a really good box series thanks to everyone that got in touch this week I was really moved by so many of your messages and I'll share more of them next week um do get in touch if you want to and I think another thing that I want to say is is thank you to you guys I mean I started this podcast last uh March when we were all just about to go into lockdown and it's given me such a sense of purpose and it's given me so much joy and hearing from all of you and seeing the tweets and seeing the reviews on the various podcast platforms has really made me feel I mean just great just great that I thought of this silly idea although I'm not I'll be the last person to say that queer people sharing their coming out stories is anyway breaking the mold I think people have been doing it for a very long time but I'm really chuffed that it means so much to many of you because it really means a lot to me too and I'm really chuffed with the amazing guests that we've got on. Um, I've got a few more coming up. We're going to go all the way to Christmas, I think. Um, so thank you very much for being part of this little community. Now let's move on to today's episode. It's me chatting to my friend, the very funny comedian, Stephen Bailey. Hello, everybody. I'm very excited to share today's guest with you uh, because not only is it another comedian, it's a friend as well, which is always a treat to chat to an actual real life friend. Today's episode is an interview with Stephen Bailey. Now, he describes himself as a working class ginger gay northern comic. Uh, He's also a presenter, a television personality and a writer. And you might have seen him on Live at the Apollo, Celebrity Mastermind, The Stand Up Sketch Show, Celebs on the Farm. He's the host of that. He's also got a half an hour special with Comedy Central. And you might have seen him on The Roast Battle or even Coronation Street. Now, I love his comedy. It's gossipy, endearing, occasionally shocking, but most importantly for me, it's funny. 
I think he's hilarious and I think you will too, but don't just take my word for it. The Metro called him a natural talent and the British Comedy Guide said he was a superstar in the making. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. I love that intro. I was like, don't, because I've listened to the Tom Allen one, Alan Carr one, I've listened to them all. And you make me cry. And I, I feel like we're five seconds in and I'm going to cry. No one's ever that nice Great. about me. Thank you, Susie. <laughs> I'm sure they are. No, no, no. I, I'm Well, maybe, actually. My boyfriend's very nice to me, even though he's, like, a really nice person, even after, like, what are we in, like, seven months of lockdown at this point? And he still really, really loves me, whereas I think I could take or leave him. I mean, that is, that's that bitchy gossipy comedian we were talking about before yeah, isn't it yeah 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 no, you can't help yourself I can't there are times though when I do wake up and I'm like uh, I mean I'd love to know how you feel about this like I wake up some days and I'm like oh my god I love him so much he's so precious and then I wake up other mornings and I'm like you again and it's just sincere after I really want people to be honest and that's honestly not the sassy comedian side of it that is the side of it that's like I wish people were being honest about lockdown relationships it's like there are days when we all just think we're clinging on well I think see for me it's less of that and more I can't believe I haven't driven her to drink (laughs) because I think I'm quite annoying to live with I mean I was just saying to um, our producer Emma today I smashed the back of the car window yesterday I saw that on Insta how did you do it oh I I mean I backed into something in a car park like it wasn't my finest moment I was listening to Taylor Swift. I thought I had more room than I did. Basically, someone pulled out and I was like, I'll be a nice person and reverse back a bit to let them out. Anyway, long story short, smashed the car up. But now, obviously, we've not got our car for like 10 days. It's got to be fixed, blah, blah. And she's been very understanding about it all. But, I mean, it it must be very annoying. But your partner as well is, I think, like my rich, is like a well-adjusted, well-rounded, nothing to do with entertainment human. So I think they've probably got a better grasp on their emotions and just day-to-day life. (laughs) So are your emotions always all over the shop? Susie, I can't even... Well, you know me, so you know the answer is yes. Like, sometimes I'm like, we're living the dream, aren't we the luckiest people on the planet? And other times I'm like, why is this so hard? What are we doing to ourselves? And have you always been like that? No, I honestly haven't. It has been... I used to err on the side of optimism, which I think I've completely flipped. Like, definitely in school and childhood, I really, I watched too many Hilary Duff films and Lindsay Lohan films (laughs) before Lindsay was the way she is now, was where it was like, oh, your dreams can come true. I really think that dates you as what age gay you are, like Hilary Duff and Lindsay Lohan. I'm not a twink anymore, babes. Yep, I'm 33. No, 34. Right, okay. Sorry, just had a birthday, 34. And so, okay, so you you believed in the, the Hannah Montana dream. I really believed in, like, happily ever afters, anything's possible if you just believe. And I still believe in that. I just can't always get my mentality to naturally go that way like I used to. Were you quite optimistic as a child then? I imagine, I mean, I feel like I've seen photos of you on Instagram, I think, of you as a as a small child. And please forgive me if I'm incorrect here, but I feel like maybe your coming out wasn't a huge shock. Babes, I never came out, really. People just assumed and I went with it and so did they and that was that. Were you quite camp as a child? Very camp, essentially the same way I am now. Like I always say, it's really weird actually because I think I was a bit of a late starter as far as 
being aware of like sex and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't ever think I was gay. And when I was in school, which, and I think we're similar ages. So when I was in school, the word gay was used to be like, oh, you're a bellend. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. it was used not in a good way. And so I just was walking around and, and it never occurred to me that, oh, the fact that I fancied Daniel in PE, whereas everyone else really fancied Simone, I didn't realise that was odd. And I think in a way it's a privilege, but I think also in a way it probably kept me in a strange little bubble for a bit too long. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So what age were you... Was Daniel the first boy that you had a crush on? So Daniel was like the first boy that I fancied. And it's that typical thing, like he was the one that was a bit naughty. Like he was probably a bully, but he was really nice to me. Right. And just really handsome, bit rough and ready, smoked the weed after school by the bus stops. Like he was always the one that could get people to go in and get the 2020 for us. Like he was just that type. <laughs> and I just thought he was so charming. <laughs> and how old were you? The earliest I remember is probably like second or third year of high school. That's when I really remember being like, I felt it's, I, I always find it very strange because, you know, I do identify as a gay man, but it, I always find it a bit weird because it's like I definitely fancied the boys and yet I was one of the girls even at school. Do you think you just have more in common with the girls? I just preferred everything that was going on with them, to be honest. Like even, you know, I was talking to someone about um, PE yesterday and like, I, I don't know what it's like in schools now because I don't, I'm not, I don't really have kids in my, well, I've got a baby, but not me personally. But it's like, I'm not surrounded by kids. So I don't know what it's like at the minute, but. At school, PE in particular, it was like very much gender assigned sports. So it's like the boys would do rugby or football and I would dread it both like so much. Like it made me physically anxious and like Mm. I shot myself once. I was that nervous about doing it. Yeah, I know. I actually shot myself. And then with the girls, they were doing like netball and rounders. I just felt like I would have more fun doing that. And what was really, really nice about it was... I heard Steph McGovern actually say on your podcast, like, no one really got bullied. Like, people took the piss out of each other, but there wasn't, like, this big, evil, nasty bullying. And I feel like my school's a bit like that, because when that came to a head, I think people could see I was physically... It was making me sick, like, that I just... It really wound me up. Like, everyone really came together. And we'd have double PE on a Monday morning, and I would oh. physically feel sick. I would... I just couldn't get my head around it. It made me feel bad. I felt bad, because I was like, I'm not good at it and I don't want to be good at it and also I don't want to be there and it was all these emotions but kind of the rest of my like class and school year kind of came together and was on my side I was like why can't you just play netball like that's what he wants to do and so actually after a few terms when we'd all stood up for me I was able to go and do the girl ones or quote unquote girl ones and so is that the boys as well that were just like just let him do that yeah and Like, looking back at it now, in hindsight, obviously it feels like it's this big, precious gift because so many Mm. people don't get that. But at the time, that was my norm. I never grew up feeling like I was different. It was, I guess, you know, for me, I must say, it was when I moved to London 10 years ago, that's when I was like, oh, you, there is, there is a difference and you are treated differently and people expect these different things from you. And I was just like living, like, like, I wasn't like, I'm gay, I must play the netball with the girls. I was like... I really am not 
football and rugby make me feel ill i'm no good at them I why would i want to do something i'm no good at and something i've got no interest in learning whereas this it's like i'm having fun with the girls and my friends are in that class and da, 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 da. and it it really made the rest of my school career or however you word it much happier yeah that's really that's real allyship yeah from kids just but, do you know before it's kind of like had a label or was like absolutely bit, like it was really it's only like I say in hindsight I've really sat and gone through it and be like oh my god I was so privileged during that time because I know other LGBTQ kids have a nightmare in school yeah and were you funny is that were you well liked by everyone yeah I wasn't funny like obviously you know me now as a friend and you know I'm trying but there's this very very shy side to me and that was more it with school so it's like I was always better in little groups you know going off with this group Mm -hmm. of girls of just four and I'd be the fifth one and then I'd have a group of like male friends that you know there's only five of us there I was really good in those situations and I think because I had loads of little bubbles it meant I kind of had a lot of friends you've had the rule of six for quite some time now I've had the rule of six before (laughs) the rule of six was this fashionable (laughs) thing babes and it but it just allowed me so it, it was like I think if you went and spoke to any of my teachers now, they wouldn't say I was the class clown. They'd say I was quiet. But it's like, I just really got on with everyone. I can't imagine you being quiet. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like you're the loudest person in a dressing room, but you're very sort of quick and sharp. Yeah, I think, do you know what I think it is? I think it was, because like I say, I wasn't out. I, I certainly wasn't in, but it was almost like, don't draw attention to yourself. Just, right. You know what I mean? So it was like, I was very much me and I never felt like I was hiding anything. At the time, I don't think I knew I had anything to hide. I didn't know what was going on in the world. So I think it was all part of that, being like, just don't draw any attention to it. And that's fine. And whereabouts in the country were you? I know you're from up north. I don't know that you are from near Manchester. Yeah, so it's called Denton. It's technically in Manchester, but it's like it's this little estate suburb just on the outside, just near Oldham. Right, yep, okay, I know Oldham. And because Manchester has like a real identity, doesn't it? Yes, I love Manchester. Obviously it's got the music scene, but it actually does have a really strong gay scene. Yes, it does, Canal Street. Yeah. And so is that where you were going? No, see, once again, I was just so naive to it all, which I think in a way, I think later in life it's hindered me a bit, and I think early in life it really served me well because so I went through school just living my life with all my little straight friends who were all from the estate and we all stayed there our college was on our estate so you didn't have to go fast like all my friends that I, that I had were kind of like my friends from birth really like and then when I got to college it opened up you know people from the next town a few of us and then but when I went to college at 16 I walked into my German class, there was a guy, and in my head I just went, oh my god, he's going to be my boyfriend. I didn't even think about, like, gayness or anything like that, I was just like, oh my god, that's going to be my boyfriend. And then a couple of months later, he was. And that was kind of that, and there was no coming out, it was always just like, this is, I won't say his name now, because actually now he's married with a wife and two kids, so we'll let him live his best life but like so like this is whoever and like that's me and that was that so I didn't really start exploring the gay scene if you will until Mm. like so we broke up at the age of 19 so like 19 onwards was when I was like "Mm, maybe I should try the gay village and maybe I should try so I was 
in a way, I was a bit late to the party. I was early and late to the party. <laughs> and so what was the estate like that you grew up on if your school was in it? What was that? Was it quite big? Not massive. Um, it was basically like a cluster of little estates that made up a town. So it was quite big. Exactly where I was is quite small. So you had your primary school and you knew everyone there. And it's like, I still know everyone there. Do you know, like, we still spend Christmas Eve together and That's it's really, really nice. nice. Everyone goes to the same pub. Everyone's like so proud of your successes. And it's really lovely. You know, like my sister, her fiance is the guy I worked at Sainsbury's with. And it's such a, just a small, small place. It just felt like everyone always had your back. Did you feel like you were different to anybody else? Or were you just like, no, I'm fine. I'm just... I honestly didn't, Susie. That's brilliant. But I love that. I think that's really encouraging to hear. Yeah. And I think it's the way it should be, obviously. Absolutely. There is ways where I feel like, you know, the LGBTQ community, there's so much to it and there's so many colours to that flag that I feel like, "Mm, I didn't really explore earlier on or understand what it meant or, you know, even understanding that I'm a feminine man and... I didn't really understand that or the fact that other people might look at I think I was kept in this bubble because I even went to uni in Manchester. So I was in this bubble for so long that I just didn't realise anyone would ever dislike people because they were gay. But that's brilliant to hear. It is a privilege. Yeah, and I think it's really hopeful. And I think hopefully it's also like a bit of a sign of maybe the coming outs that young people are having now. Yeah, and I always say about where I'm from, it's like, you know, it's not the most, like, well-educated area. And there's times where you're like, you know, you can't say that anymore. You know, every time I'm back in Christmas Eve having a drink in the pub and it's all my school friends, I always find myself being like, no, you can't say that anymore. That's not how you phrase things. But at the same time, they have this level of emotional intelligence that I was like, oh, there's so many places I go, especially travelling for this job, where it's like, they don't have this emotional intelligence. Like, they just accept me as Stephen. They don't care. Yeah anything else about it. it's just like I'm Stephen I've always been in their orbit and that's that when you came out to sort of your mum and dad well I suppose if you didn't come out did you just one day take a boyfriend home? I didn't come home I just one day took a boyfriend home and that was that and that's all I've ever done ever since it's been like you know this is whoever this is Satan <laughs> this is whatever and that that's all I've ever done I always think about how they feel like because obviously you know we talk about coming out but then there's lots of parents who have the coming out experience as well and I was like I take it a coming out experience with my mum and dad as well but that's great because it obviously just suggests that you just had this relationship with them where you could just be yourself without having to announce who you were yeah because because what annoys me is like now on stage I think people really do think I'm an act or a turn do you know like this is a very good character and it's like no I've always been this I think that's why they always knew like when I was at school you know and you're playing with your mates I would be the pink ranger very happily and it didn't even occur to me that that would be problematic in any way you know I I started doing taekwondo because I read or watched somewhere that um, Sarah Michelle Gellar did that for the role of Buffy so I was like well, well I'd love to be Buffy like you know and just all these decisions I ever made and it was like my favorite time was like if ever we were off sick we'd we'd get sent to my grand's house so my mum and dad didn't have to take the day off work and she'd have coffee morning every day with Dorothy, Bridie and Edie and I was like this is where I belong (laughs) with these four like I just really loved it and they're gossiping they're smoking they're having a nice little drink at 11am and I was like this is where I belong my soul is that of a 70 year old female smoker. (laughs) Well it's good to know who you are. That's genuinely how I feel. 
I love the fact because you're like a black bear in taekwondo, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a black belt. I'm insured for a million pound if I accidentally kill anyone because I'm I'm technically classed as a lethal weapon. Oh my god, I love it. It is brilliant, and it, it's even that is like a bit of a funny story. It was it was genuinely I joined because because I wasn't big into sports. My dad's got this big fear of heart attacks because his dad died a one young so he thinks you know we're all gonna get fit so so he's like be fit you know everyone's gonna do something like my sister had to go dancing and all stuff like that and I was just like "Mm." so I went to taekwondo gave it a go and at first it was like it was this really interesting thing because I was like I started at say 14 I think 14 15 I was too old to be in the kids class but really I was too young to be with the adults because they were all in like their mid-20s and stuff like that so so they shoved me in with the adults and I think that really helped me because there was a level of acceptance there. Like they knew what was going on with me, even if I didn't. Like they knew I was a little gay boy. And I really fancied the instructor. He was like this really fit. <laughs> and in the day he was a surgeon. So I was like, he's this surgeon that by night is a bloody master of Taekwondo. This is like so fit. And all these adults want to hang out with me. And it, it became like a social for me. And that's the only reason I did it. And then I happened to exercise as well. And so do you still do it now, ever? No, mainly because of gigs, like, because it's such a dedication. I was doing it three nights a week plus a Saturday. You'd do gradings a month, and I would love to still do it, but I don't know, until I have, like, my fucking 5pm chat show, I, I, don't, <laughs> I won't be able to. And you went when you went off to uni, you did languages, didn't you? Yeah, I did French and Spanish. Had to go and live a year in France for a year. That was fabulous. I bet. Where did you go? I went to Perpignan in the south of France and I would encourage everyone to go. It's like this beautiful little beach town. And it was just this year. So all you had to do to pass that year was just be there for a year. Like you didn't, and you had to write one assignment. And the rest of it was just, you were encouraged to really live a life. And I went with one of my best friends from uni. Oh, fun. It was so fun. It was like a beach town. So we'd spend the day by the beach. We got little jobs. We got fired from the little jobs. Our friends would come (laughs) over and stay because it was a beach town. Like we had the nicest time. And once again, it was just like everything was just so accepting. That's great. Yeah, it was so nice. I I always feel so privileged. And it's always it. I think that's sometimes why things hit me in the heart harder now when someone's got like a homophobic undertone because I don't I don't think I really experienced it before the age of like 25, 26. And you didn't sort of develop a really thick skin to it because why wouldn't someone be kind and nice to you and care about your sexuality? Exactly. And once again, I think that's I I think it's a shame that we as LGBTQ plus people have to develop such a thick skin. Mm-hmm. But honestly, now sometimes it really hits me in the heart where it can, like I say about my emotions being up and down, it can take me out for like three days while I really like, consider it or I don't think I have those tools really and so do you mean this now more because you're sort of in the public eye somewhat sometimes yeah I mean you know I only do bits and bobs mainly trash which I love but (laughs) what I find really difficult is because it's quite nice to have this conversation because you know we're both gay comedians we go on stage and we can't back to make the points we want to make we also have to get a laugh out of it and it's Mm -hmm. quite nice to have this conversation where it's like actually it's not really a laughing matter well that's the thing yeah and I think it's you know it's, it's funny I was talking about this on May's episode and we were saying like sometimes you've got to get that gag out about your sexuality before they do yeah so that you've dealt with it before you can be heckled a hundred percent. I remember especially, do you know in that time when we're starting out, so like 
you know, we start out as comedians doing like five minutes in a pub where there's like an audience of six other comedians. And then you... <laughs> yeah, and a dog. Yeah, and a dog. If you're lucky, there's a dog. And and there's Sky, you can see a Sky Sports TV from where you're performing. Exactly. So you start off like that. No one's really listening. No one really gives a shit. So you kind of sail through it. And then eventually you get to a point where you are doing proper comedy clubs, like say the Glee Clubs or the Frog and Bucket in Manchester or these... Mm-hmm. And you're on with people that have been doing comedy like 10, 20 years. They're amazing. And you're going on to do a little 10-minute set. And, like, you will walk on stage and someone will just go, gay! And it's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how to deal with that yet. I've I've been doing this about two years. I need, I don't know what to do. Like, and like you say, now it's like we go up almost combative. And it's like, I'd really like not to. And do you feel like you're less combative when you do a tour show where you know that people have come to see you? Yes, 100%. There is a difference. But I, I also, I must admit, though, I have like a sick thing. Like I still love the clubs where you have to be a bit combative because I'm I'm also mm. the opinion now it's like I'm nine years in and I'm like, good luck to you. Try it and see what happens to you because everyone's still yeah. gonna laugh, but I'm not gonna be the one feeling cool. I'm I'm a bit like that now. Yeah. At one point I used to think like, oh God, please don't say anything. But I'm not encouraging people to heckle because I don't because it generally just ruins the flow of a gag. Yeah. But I'm pretty confident that as someone that spends I mean, in normal times, five or six nights of the week on stage, I'll be funnier than you. Yeah. Like, I'll be, I'll be funny. Whatever you've got to say, and I will have heard it before. How does it make you feel, like, you know, when you're in that going, there's this added layer of going up and being... Could you feel it as a, a gay person and a woman? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because I don't know what it feels like to not have those things... True. ...front and centre in a way. You know, I look kind of gay. I also dress in kind of an androgynous way you know I give them a clue before I've opened my mouth but yeah I don't know I feel like there's often the homophobia that I receive is sort of tied up in a nice bow with some misogyny yeah you know it is sometimes a a delicious mix of the two but it's like when you get asked as a female comic like oh what's it like to be a female comic you go well I don't know what it's like to be a male comic so normal but I but I think that I think there's certainly an element of that of but then also I feel like I've had like promoters who I'll tell you afterwards say things to me like you're it's better than booking a woman because you're because it's like you're another guy. Oh, and you go well that's oh not helpful. God, <laughs> it's so. Sometimes the way people speak to you in this business does throw me off sometimes. Like, but what I just wish is I do wish they would lie to you even if that's the case. Do you know like be like. Stephen was too crude in the audition or Stephen was not very good yeah. or he's not the right mix. I hate when they go, well, we've booked another gay person. And you're sat there going, you've got 16 checkered, straight, white, middle-class men as well. Like, and I just I just think, because you're not giving me anything constructive to go away and work with, you're giving me your sexuality is a problem for us. And also it's sort of suggesting that one gay voice is Covers it telling all. all of the gay stories. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a bit about that. So obviously you've you've done really well in stand-up. You know, we've been... You, you say you've been going about nine years? Yeah. Well, I've been going a few years more than you. But I feel like you've been up to the fringe a few times. You've had nice festivals. You've done, you know, some of the big TV shows that we all want to do. Well, for me, I think you're probably similar, like, you know, Live at the Apollo or something like that. And, you know, getting those little breaks and you've done the shows. But now... I know it's something you've talked about quite a lot on sort of on Twitter, on Instagram, about how you feel like there's this sort of barrier because there's other gay men that are doing well who are brilliant, who are our friends as well, which is makes so it an, brilliant. An, yeah. it makes it an extra difficult thing for you because you sort of go, well, 
why isn't there room for all of us? Yeah, and it just makes you... The, the thing I find hard is going, well, is, I guess, using the straight guy example, is going, well, why can there be six, seven, eight, nine straight white guys across the series? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a straight white guy hosting the show. You've already got him every episode. You know, why why can there only be one of us? And do you think that there's a real sort of lack of representation when it comes to working class voices as well? I do. Yeah, I really do. Because you're working class as well. And it's like... Well, it's hard to say. Yeah, I think I'm definitely from working class roots. But my dad sort of did well when I was in sort of my early 20s. And, you know, and he started and him and mum have sort of got quite a nice house now. And they're do- so I find it quite and also like, I'm now a homeowner. So does that mean that I'm still working class? I think it's quite a tricky thing. I feel a bit disingenuous now saying, well, I, 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 I guess I don't know. Do you sort of stop being working class when your family have got a bit more money than they once had when you were growing up and you've now got a bit more money. It's hard to say, but I certainly think, Mm. I don't know, but I want to hear about it from, from your perspective, because I think you're really right. I think there is, you know, there's a real lack of not just working class voices, but I think Northern voices as well. There's such a lack of Northern voices. And I think half it is because behind the scenes, there is not a a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So people don't, understand that experience you know there are we know them there's brilliant comedians in Manchester in Yorkshire in Leeds in Birmingham and the thing is it's like the clubs don't pay that amazingly for you to be able to come and have a weekend in London in the hopes that a TV producer might come to that show they said they'd come to yeah I mean I think for a northern act often the only way you get seen is by saying please come to this show I mean I have had someone actually say to me do you know, everyone's queer now, so you need to really work on the Northern stuff. Oh, my God. And it's like, there's not Northern stuff. There's not queer stuff. Every day when I wake up, I am queer and I am Northern. And it's interesting that all of those kids at school were like, let him be who he is. <laughs> like, just leave it leave it out. Let him be who he is. Yeah. But, you know, grown-up adults now can't do that is quite disappointing. I know. And I think the working class thing is, I just don't know why people... Because my argument is always going... In my head, your viewers are working class people that can't afford to go to the theatre, that can't afford to go to Soho Theatre. Like the reason the soaps do well is it's not middle class people sat watching it. It's like my mum and dad. So it's like that's what people want. And they're the, they're the shows that rate the highest. Mm-hmm. So I can't believe they don't have that representation. But I think you're right. I think there's room for everyone. And that's the thing. And I think that's the thing that always comes across when you do talk about this. Now, we haven't really, I'm delighted to say we've not, you know, there's not been too much darkness that we've had to talk about today, which is brilliant. And, you know, the the final question of the show is always what advice should we give yourself? But I do know, not that we've discussed it massively, that when you first moved to London, that was when you sort of felt a bit like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Why have I left? Yeah. And that that was when you first sort of felt like a bit of an outsider. If you could get in touch with that, Stephen, I don't know, pick up a dream phone, say and give them a bit of advice about what's to come and about not only what's to come, but just, you know, a bit of reassurance or, you know, it doesn't have to be you. There could be, you know, we get loads and loads of listeners from all across the globe. Some of them are out, some of them aren't out. Some of them had quite a lot of messages from people that have come out in lockdown and are now having a bit of a tricky time because of it. What what bit of advice would you give to those people or to little Stephen, whatever you want to choose? So I think it would be don't let that Hillary Duff bubble burst like and I don't mean to sound contrived but just in that way of keep that optimism and for all those people telling you no 
this isn't for you, whether that, you know, whether that's your sexuality or class or whatever. You have so many champions as well that want the best for you. For some people, that's their family. For some people, that's their friends. For me, I was lucky enough to have both. But I say it all the time. It's like, for me, it's like, you'll always have home and they'll always be there. So I think it's that. It's like, whoever your people are that want you to do well, they're always going to be there. So go off and go after what you want because there are people to catch you if you need it. And if worse comes to the worst, you'll catch your fucking self. That's absolutely true. And I think that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I haven't got those people. I think the thing to remember is that they're out there. Yeah, you've just not found them yet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you'll catch your fucking self. What a perfect way to end a podcast. (laughs) Thank you, mate. That was brilliant. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I thought that was great. I hope you enjoyed it too. Stephen's so funny. Make sure you check him out when we're all back on the road. Um, I'm sure you'll really enjoy his tour shows. You take care of yourself and I'll be in touch next week. Mm